Welcome to the Eerie First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Schreiber. Have you ever gotten entangled with something? Have you experienced that sense of being stuck or caught or snared like in a trap? We're continuing Pastor Nicole's new series called Entangled, where she's taking a deep, hard look at how sin traps us. But not just how it traps us, we're going to see how to get out of the trap that sin creates, and ultimately, how to live a life of victory over sin. Today, we're going to see one of those core strategies of overcoming sin. So let's get started. Here's Pastor Nicole. So in this series, we are highlighting um, some stories of people in our congregation who have been given a second chance. If uh, it were up to me, we'd ha- we could highlight everyone, really, because that is the story of all of our lives. But these men and women that have uh, decided that they would share are so brave, they're so authentic. And I want to uh, share with you another second chance video today uh, before we dive into our message. But it requires a little bit of backstory. So a few months ago, I was leaving a council meeting uh, fairly late in the evening. Sometimes we get going, and uh, it's late into the night. And I noticed a car parked over near the uh, pavilion. And so I went over uh, to see if I could help or to see if something was wrong. And inside was a man and a woman and their dog. And um, they explained to me they had just moved here uh, from living out of state for a period of time, and they had a gap and when their apartment was going to be available. And unfortunately, that left them uh, without a place to stay. And so they were um, sleeping in their car for several nights. And they said, we just wondered, can we sleep uh, in our car here in the parking lot? Because um, it feels like a safer choice than the other nights that they had done. And, And I explained that that probably wasn't uh, maybe the, the best ideal or the ideal scenario, but um, that I knew that my church would be okay with helping them out and giving them a couple nights hotel, you know, so they could get back on their feet. And so we drove over to the hotel and, and um, I paid for it. And I was talking with uh, John for a few minutes, the man, and, and I heard a little bit more of his story. And he said to me, you know, uh, we've been looking for a church. What time are your services? And so I told him the info. And friends, if I'm being honest with you this morning, I thought, okay, yeah, that's what, you, you know, you're looking for a church. I thought he was being polite because I was the pastor, you know, and I told him and then we were able to help him out. And I thought, oh, okay, I'll, I'll probably never see him again. And a few weeks went by and on a, after a Sunday morning, um, this couple approaches me after church and they say, hey, uh, do you remember us? And I, I said, no, you know, remind me. And they introduced themselves as the couple that I had met in the parking lot that night. And I was blown away, not just at the integrity of the fact that they really did want to come and find a church and worship here, but the fact that they would show up. I really thought I would never see them again. Now, little did we know, Jen uh, and I had actually known each other in our late high school years. We played on rival soccer teams. And so we reconnected and prayed together. Uh, we look a little different 25 years later, but we were excited to, uh, to remember all of those things. And John and Jen kept coming and immersing themselves in God's presence. And currently, they regularly attend our church and serve as ushers almost every week. Just give God some praise for that. Only Jesus could orchestrate that beautiful story. So I want you to hear how God has given them a second chance. My name is John Cornett. And I'm Jennifer Ketter. And we're we're thankful thankful for our second second chance. chance. 
was a time in our life where we both were addicted to methamphetamines for like a period of four years. And it pretty much took over our lives to, it fully engulfed everything. And uh, to the point of losing everything. Losing jobs, losing relationships with family, with friends, with kids, just everything. evicted out of the house that my father owned and he actually went to court to evict us because the addiction was so bad and facing jail time from a divorce I was going through at the same time for not cooperating. So it was a, a group of things that was just all coming to an head. The turning point for me was to go, well, I don't want to go to jail and I don't want to die, Let's, where can we go from here? So that's what sparked us to reach out to someone that helped us actually get into rehab. Like you said in the car, it's 180 degrees. It is unbelievable in a year's time where we come from. I did. <laughs> I, I mean, I definitely a year ago, I would not have, I would not have pictured myself with an apartment, with a new car, with um, just the opportunities that I've had as far, well, we've had as far as getting jobs and um, just being able to do some of the things that we've done. Um, just being able to live life again and not have to rely on drugs. For me, I think it's just, it's making that decision to say, I am not well, I need help. Yeah. And not being afraid to say it either. Because I think for the longest time- to ask for help, but mm -hmm. once I, I called my best friend, and uh, it was as simple as, she said, pack your bags, I'll pick you up in the morning. And it happened within 24 hours, I was in rehab and she said, if you're ready, I got you. And it happened that quick. You know, you believe in God, but until you actually interact with the spirit and feel it, it's a whole other game. Like, it's hard to turn your back on that. My name is John Cornett. And my um, name is Jennifer Ketter. And we're thankful <laughs> for, for our second, second chance. <laughs> well, we're in a series about sin. Uh, sin is our failure to fulfill God's intentions for us. I'm calling this series Entangled. Uh, like I shared last week, the word entangle comes from the root word used to describe sheep whose wool was caught in the thorns and in the thicket as they walked to the countryside. When the sheep got snagged in the thicket and could not get free, the sheep would be trapped in, in the same place, maybe for days, weeks, months. And when it was trapped, it obviously couldn't get 
food or water. It, it was often uh, very vulnerable to attacks uh, from the enemy because it couldn't break away. And so this was such a great image to me of what sin does to us. It makes us stuck. It makes us vulnerable. It makes us hurting. And it so often puts us in a position where we don't know what to do, but we're very stuck in the scenario. So although it's true we get stuck sometimes, every story we've heard, these life stories really talks about that, God doesn't want us to stay stuck. Amen? Hallelujah. Anyone out there? Okay. God doesn't want us to stay stuck. God doesn't want us to stay entangled. So today, for the next few minutes, I just want to talk about something, a very effective tool to stay free of sin, and that is to have a heart of integrity. So that's what we're going to dig in today. Uh, uh, the scripture says integrity is a shield that if we, can, if we have it and we hold it up against our lives, that that sin can't get in to entangle us because we have this shield and this heart of integrity. Simply put, integrity means your life matches your lips. Your life matches your lips. That, it means that you're the same person on Monday as you are on Sunday, as you are on Saturday, that every day, inside or outside, your life matches your lips. Now, this one's for my math teacher friends out there. The word integer is a math term for the whole of anything. So an integer is a whole number. It's not a fraction. And so to have integrity means a person's heart is whole. It's undivided. It's completely the same all around. A person of integrity lives rightly. She is the same person in private as she is in public. And a person of integrity takes those values, those principles, and internalizes them and integrates them into every area of their life. See that word integrity is part of that too. Integrates everything to every area. I had to laugh uh, when I read about a young man who was being interviewed for a position in a small business firm, and he had a proper and neat appearance, and he made a good impression on the owner, and he was very prepared. Uh, he had an excellent resume. He listed on there his pastor, his Sunday school teacher, his church deacon as references, and the owner of the business studied the resume for several minutes and then said, you know, I appreciate these recommendations from your church friends, but what I would really like to hear is from someone who knows you on the weekdays. <laughs> Ooh, snap. <laughs> Give me the guy you talk to on the weekdays. I love that. It's easy to talk about integrity, but we all know talking about character and living it out are two very different things. In fact, in my research for this message, I found a whole bunch of incredible quotes about integrity, and then I realized the source of those quotes was O.J. Simpson. I decided not to share those with you today uh, because living it out and talking about character are two very different things. So I want to talk about a man in the scripture who radiates integrity and see what we can learn from it today. Uh, and it comes from the book of Acts. Uh, we see the contrast between Paul and a lawyer named Tertullus. Now Tertullus was being paid to represent the Jewish leaders who were slandering accusations against Paul. And he was trying to prove that Paul was guilty of insurrection. And this lawyer would not stop at anything to convince them that Paul was guilty and deserved punishment of death. And so in Acts 24, uh, Tertullus um, presents this really shaky case against Paul. And although the Jewish leader's main complaint was about religious things, they knew that these religious things wouldn't bring the charge that they needed against him to actually execute him. And so 
um, they decided that they were going to go with sedition and insurrection, which were completely false. In fact, Paul didn't do any of these things. He, he wasn't in charge of anything. He, he, did not, uh, he was not the ringleader of people against the Roman government. In fact, he was a Roman citizen. Uh, he, he was very devout. But this lawyer said, well, I'm going to falsely accuse him and try to prove that this is true. So with all of this happening... It would have been really easy for Paul to get entangled in the sin of offense. If someone falsely accuses you of something, how do you feel? Kind of offended, kind of mad, right? Kind of upset. Uh, it would be very easy for Paul to fall into the sin of rage or into bitterness. It would have been very easy for Paul to slander them in return and to, and to go out and say, well, you, know, you threw a punch at me, I'm going to throw two back. And I'm going to tell everybody who you really are. Paul could have lied, he cheated, played dirty, just like he was treated. But Paul didn't. And in order to stay free from being entangled by sin, this is what Paul did. He laser focused on living a life of integrity. He laser focused on everything in his life lining up with who he said that he was. And so with that in mind, I want us to look at just a couple things that keep our hearts whole and undivided today. The first one is this. Integrity speaks truth in every situation. So Paul's integrity, when they were coming against him with all these accusations and things he never really did, uh, he, he, he just gave them a calm and straightforward reply against the false accusations that were toward him. You see, Paul lived openly before God and men. He didn't have to weave a tale of half-truths or misleading statements to defend himself. You know, the thing about lying is you have to remember what you said so you don't lie about the lie. <laughs> and then you get yourself in a, in a pickle. He simply spoke the truth, refuting each of the charges in order. Did you do this? No. Did you do this? No. And he could say it with such a clear and blameless conscience. Paul knew that God is the God of truth. He cannot and will never lie. And as Christians, we are commanded and expected to speak the truth. Ephesians 4.25 talks about this. It says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. I think it is absolutely the scheme of the enemy to try to get us to hide our sin from each other. It's absolutely the ideas, the, the enemy's idea that we put on a, a faker face and, and mask it up and never fess up to what we're struggling, to convince us that if we ever told anyone, especially our church friends, about the things that we're struggling with, that that would be horrible. The enemy does not want us to be truthful, especially about our sin. And let me tell you why. It's dangerous to him. It is dangerous to the enemy when we start confessing our sin to one another. Because here's how it works. When we're truthful, even how hard it is sometimes, when our sin is exposed, then the Holy Spirit can work. When we're truthful with each other, when we ask for help, when we expose the things we're struggling with, then the Holy Spirit can work. Things in the dark grow a lot, a lot of power over you. But when you expose it to someone, the Holy Spirit can work. It's actually when we hide our dirty laundry that we're much more at risk for spiritual shipwreck. Honest community will push you closer to living a holy life. Honest community. And now accountability by people who really care about you, people that will protect you. 
I think some people misunderstand that living a life of integrity is supposed to be living perfectly. That's not what it is. By definition, living a life of integrity, living with an undivided heart, doesn't mean you never make a mistake. What it means is when you do, you admit it and you change direction. Second, integrity requires repentance. On that same note, so Paul's writing to Timothy. He's um, teaching and training up this uh, young man. And in 1 Timothy 1, 18 through 19, he says, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to their faith. Paul is saying, look, I've watched people fall away from their faith and walk away from their faith because they did not have a clear or good conscience. Never repenting or turning from sin eventually causes spiritual death. It's true. It's what the scripture says. And so in order to have a blameless conscience, we have to do the work. We have to do the action of repenting. And here's the thing about our flesh and and, and the natural selves. We don't want to admit we're wrong. We don't want to say things like, oh, well, we, we blew it in that time. In fact, we often, what we do is we blame everything else. Well, the circumstances, the, the people, the, the stress, uh, the, the moment, I wouldn't have felt that way. I wouldn't have done that. That was totally out of my character. And so that what we need to do, the scripture says, is examine our hearts and ask God to examine our hearts for any thought or word or deed or action we have done that has not honored him. And God will be faithful to bring it to mind But the next step in this process is you have to listen to him. (laughs) Because typically, if you ask the Lord and he tells you something, our gut reaction is to say, well, (laughs) no. But if we humbly ask him for forgiveness and figure out a way to change and turn from it and not do it again, that is true repentance. This is such an important habit in walking with God. And honestly, I think it's something we miss, a lot of us miss as Christians. It's especially important to avoid rationalizing and excusing our sin by blaming others. Having a blameless conscience before God means that I quickly confess, turn away from my sin, that his word or his spirit convicts me, no matter what others may have said or done to influence it. In fact, this is something that I think would be good for us all to say to ourselves every day, my sin is nobody's fault but mine. My sin is nobody's fault but mine. We have to do the work of our hearts to know those things and then be able to repent and turn from them. Psalm 139, 23 through 24 is a great verse. You might want to jot that down. It's a way you can enter into repentance uh, throughout the week. But it says, search me, God, know my heart. Test me, know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That can just be the model, the words that you pray to ask God to search your heart. <clears throat> All right, the third thing, as we look at Paul's life as an example, uh, Paul wrote to a church uh, in Colossians, or the church of Colossal, and he began to teach them. And he said in chapter 3, 12 through 13, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. The scripture tells us that if you are a Christ follower and if your heart is full of integrity, then you have to work to forgive everyone that hurts you. 
You have to work to forgive everyone that offends you. And you have to work to forgive everyone that disappoints you. Now, you can put up boundaries and healthy fences. I'm not advocating, the scripture doesn't advocate abuse or being taken advantage of. There are complexities, there are nuances. You might be thinking, Pastor, I know, but it's, that's for everybody but me because of this situation. And that's a whole different sermon and, and professional counseling and, and all the things. I'm not saying it's easy. But what I think so often we do, and I know so many Christ followers that have held grudges and offenses for decades. And somehow they justify and rationalize it in some way. And I know the idea of limitless forgiveness is hard to hear. It's even harder to do. But Jesus is so clear. There are things, he, there are things that are debatable in the scripture that we can talk through and see what Jesus really meant. But in this particular situation, Jesus is so clear on multiple occasions in scripture that there is no room for misinterpretation. For the believer, forgiveness is required, period. Why? Well, first, we're commanded to forgive as the Lord forgave us, and thank goodness he doesn't wear himself out. <laughs> thank goodness that he's, he's there to give us a second chance or a third or a fourth or you know, thousands of chances, but also because forgiveness is a big deal in the kingdom of God. Forgiveness is a big deal. Grace is the currency of heaven. If we don't understand forgiving each other, how will we ever be able to receive and live in the truth that we're forgiven? And so Jesus says, look, you got to get this concept. It's so important because you need to live in the freedom that I've forgiven you. And by doing that, you're going to forgive each other. And that is so important to have a heart of integrity. Okay, here's the final thing that we can learn about integrity from Paul's life. There's so many more, but I chose four this morning. The fourth one is integrity should be motivated by eternity. Integrity should be motivated by eternity. So Paul says that his practice of seeking to maintain a blameless conscience before God and men comes from the certainty that he believes that the resurrection will happen for both the righteous and the wicked. And he teaches in 1 Corinthians 15, another church that he's teaching. He says, look, if there is no God, if there's no resurrection, if there's no future judgment, if there's no eternity, then live for all the immediate pleasure that you can get because you're going to die soon. So you might as well get it all out in the, the 80 or so years max that you'll have here. But Paul says, but if God lives and he's going to raise every person to stand before him in judgment, then everyone should repent of his sin, trust in Christ as Savior, live all of life with a blameless conscience and integrity before God and before men. Because there will come a day when what we did with our life will be judged. Not just what we did in public, not just what we did outwardly, but what we did inwardly, what we did in private. And it all counts. Every single thing. It all counts. And so integrity is motivated by eternity. Here's how I want to end today. You know, Paul wasn't perfect. In fact, he was the first to bring that to our attention in 1 Timothy. He called himself the chief of sinners, the sinniest of all sinners. I made that one up, but I think he'd be okay with that. But Paul strived to live a life of integrity but he had a fair track record of mistakes and brokenness and mess ups. And, and I think the most beautiful part of being a follower of Jesus is how deeply he is rooting for us to succeed. 
He, he's our number one fan cheering us on in those moments of temptation, cheering us on toward holiness. Jesus desires we live a life of integrity, but when we foul it up, and we will, he isn't standing over us shaking his finger. Jesus is always working it all back together for his good. And being a Christian is this fine line, this tension that we have to manage where we work out our salvation by focusing on a life of integrity. We get the things right in our lives that we know aren't pleasing or holy to God, but we also live and we rest in the sea of grace offered by our Savior. And God has been talking about just this to my friend, Linda Straub. And I just asked today if she would share with you this word that I believe applies to us all. So would you welcome Linda as she comes this morning? Good morning, church. Wow, there's so many more people at this service. <laughs> so I just want to open with prayer before we do this. Uh, Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for my church family and for the privilege to be up here uh, to share with everyone today. And I'm so thankful for, even though I didn't know Nicole's message before I created this, even though I didn't know Jonathan's prayer for communion or the testimony that would be shared today, how you weave all these messages together. I'm so grateful for that and we're in awe of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so uh, my name's Linda Straub. I see a lot of faces that I don't know, so in case if you don't know me, uh, we typically go to the first service. Um, but I, I often think about how God speaks to all of us in so many different ways. For me, I often get a visual of something, and my most favorite time to be with my creator is when I myself am creating something, or when I'm in nature enjoying what he's created. Sometimes it's just a thought or a picture of something that comes to my mind and it, it just kind of lingers there. It may not even be a complete thought, but as I continue to park there, it continues to come into focus. Sometimes, like in this case, it's been weeks of incomplete thoughts and pictures in my head. But as the thought continues to expand, many times I will get glimpses of it in what I'm doing or in nature or in my art. And many times it inspires me to create something based on the visual picture and the thoughts that I have in my head. This particular time, it started months ago at this very altar. We were singing in church the same song we sang today, which was called Not Just Filled Up, But Overflow. Um, the thought came to me, as I'm sure many of you can relate, Lord, there's so much brokenness today. So many of us are broken, if even in just a slight small way, whether it's with our sin, like we've been talking about, with broken relationships, with loss, unforgiveness, a wayward child, a lost job, or the countless effects of the recent events in the world have brought about in our life. How is this broken vessel going to fill up let alone overflow. There are times in life when I feel like I'm barely holding anything at all. I may fill up on a Sunday morning at church and no sooner do I head to my car that my focus has shifted back onto my brokenness. After service that day, I pictured a broken vessel with just water pouring out of all of the cracks. I'm thinking to myself, this, this can't be right, Lord. I struggled with the, the picture in my head a bit, trying to understand it, and eventually I just left the thought for another time. 
I did share with Nicole that day, and uh, or I had emailed her and said, um, I'm excited. I feel like God is doing something. He's stirring something, trying to tell me something, but I don't have it all together yet. So I just waited. And then on a bike ride, which is another place where I feel very close to God, uh, the thought came to me again. This broken vessel, cracked, pouring out water from all the broken places. My focus is on the broken pieces, the cracks, the spaces in between, the broken relationships I have, my fears of what's going to happen in this world, the heaviness of loss, the family that isn't what I expected. I was slightly overwhelmed and needed to pull over on my bike. I was trying to be present in the moment to feel what God was trying to tell me. And then I sensed something. The focus of all the pieces blurred. I felt a sense of water pouring over me. Living water full of love and peace and grace. And I focused on the water filling a broken vessel, filling up all the spaces, but it wasn't pouring out. It was making the vessel whole again, completely capable of not only filling, but of overflowing. And I felt a peace come over me. At this point, I had built my broken vessel and I had painted the world and I now added water, but I still didn't have the completeness of the entire picture or my thoughts, but I had more of it than I did before. So I waited. Then fast forward a few weeks and Pastor Nicole was up here and had two jars on the stage, if anyone remembers that. She spoke about the fact that we can't already be full of stuff, of the world, whatever, and expect to be filled up. She poured out the water into the empty jar and I watched and my mind went right to the thought again, right to that broken vessel. I went up to her afterwards to share and I said, I think there's a third vessel, not an empty one, not a full one, but a broken one in need of restoration. One that needs to allow God to heal before we ourselves can overflow. Someone needs to hear this today. There's no promise that we wouldn't have hardships or pain or struggles, temptation with sin like we're talking about. No promise that we wouldn't have fractures in our life. But he did promise to give us a peace beyond our understanding in the midst of that brokenness and a promise to make a way for us. Fast forward a few more weeks, Pastor Dan was up here speaking and the final details finally came in. He was talking about us all looking fine on the outside, but underneath are cracks in all of us. And the thought came in loud and clear. We are all broken in some way. The world is broken. However, that brokenness that we all have and often question is all part of the refinement. It's the journey that leads to the overflow. Whether it's with our own mind, with our anxieties, our depression, fears, thoughts we can't seem to control, or with others, with family members, friends, or people that don't think and believe like we do, the people that frustrate us or have hurt us, the people that are hard to love. It's all part of the same picture. Let's face it, we are not fine because we're Christians. Sometimes we are worse because of it, and I mean that in a good way, but we think we should be fine. We think that we shouldn't struggle. We need to be transparent, not only with ourselves, but with others about our brokenness, seeking help if needed with a mentor or a trusted friend and moving forward 
working through that brokenness. Sometimes we hang on to our broken pieces as if they are forever a part of us and of who we are. However, if we only remain focused on our brokenness, we become stagnant, not only focusing on ourselves, but it's very difficult to pour out the peace and grace if we ourselves don't have it. As the brokenness is surrendered, healing and restoration can take place. At this point, I'm envisioning him filling the broken vessel with his love, and I begin to adhere all the broken pieces together. I picture him healing me, healing us from the inside out. Filling to overflow isn't about more wealth or stuff or anything of this world. It's not about being a perfect vessel for his filling. It's about allowing ourselves to be filled with more of him in spite of our brokenness, our sin, and our battles. The healing, the restoration, the refinement, it's all part of the journey. I would go as far as to say it's about my favorite thing, repurposing, taking all that is broken and using it for good in some way, sometimes in ways we don't even understand. It also needs to be said that this is not a one-time event, a place that we arrive at. No, this is an ongoing journey, an ongoing choice. By allowing ourselves to trust rather than fear, to surrender ourselves to be refined, to choose Him rather than the various escapes we choose, to learn humility, empathy, and compassion for others that don't think and feel like we do to focus on the filling and the one that fills. Only then can we overflow. I'm sure you've heard that the saying that we spill over what we're full of. Well, if we allow it, our heavenly Father fills us with his love, his grace, and his forgiveness, his perspective, and that is what overflows. It overflows into a world, a world that is watching a world that is desperately in need of seeing and knowing that yes, we have been broken and maybe we still are, but we're allowing our Heavenly Father to heal us and refine us for His glory. At this point, I extended the painted water from the vessel to not only overflow, but to pour out over this world, representing the love and the peace, the grace and the joy that can be poured out as an extension of what he fills us with. Filling up to overflow for me in this picture, in this personal revelation within my mind and my heart, it's nothing that this world can give. I believe it's an overflowing of being redeemed regardless of what we've done. It's an overwhelming sense of being loved, being forgiven, and having peace right in the middle of our brokenness. A peace that only he can give. And then his light shines through our brokenness so others can witness it and can reveal opportunities for us to share our testimony. So Lord, today I thank you for your healing and for your love right in the middle of our brokenness. I thank you for your still small voice in my life and in others' lives. It can be so small that it's just an inkling of a thought, a thought that if we allow ourselves to linger there, you expand upon bring the big picture into focus. You fill in the details and all the colors and all your glory is revealed. You are the truth and the light and the way. And we thank you, Lord. Amen. 
Awesome. Would you stand to your feet? So glad that you came to church today. I pray that you have an awesome week with all of these truths that you live it out and we'll see you next Sunday. Greet someone on your way out. Tell them you're so glad they came today. Thank you for listening to the Erie First Podcast. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and share it with your friends. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram or visit eriefirst.org for all our latest news, announcements, and information. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.